לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. כל רמה מאה ושתיים שלוש מרגישים קיץ באוויר רדיו כל רמה מאה ושתיים another edition of Parsha Talk. I'm Rabbi Elliot Malaman in Highland Park, New Jersey, at the Highland Park Conservative Temple Congregation on Chiamet. And joining me are my good friends, Rabbi Barry Chesler, Salman Shekhtar Day School, Long Island, Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky, Anshe Chesed in New York City. We are talking about Parsha Vayera 5782. There's absolutely nothing going on in this Parsha. It's too, there's too much. I'm getting a new t-shirt this year. It's an amazing Parsha with so much to talk about, and we are so grateful you are joining us. Let's get right into it. The Parsha begins with Avram recovering. He's in recovery. Recovery from what, Barry? Uh, from Breed Milah, the covenant of circumcision. Abraham, blessed with, I guess, great strength, circumcises not only himself at the age of... 99 age of 99 but all the males of his household including his 13 year old son what you're you just faded out there but it's going including, his, going including his 13 year old son ishmael and um as i actually know my college roommate converted to judaism and had to be circumcised and the third day is the the roughest the third day is the roughest, the roughest and- and we don't want to get into the polemics about circumcision, although I think we're all really in favor. It, it just so happens that every time, you know, every every year at this time of the year, all of the anti-circumcision activists, the intactivists, get active. That's what they're called, intactivists. Okay, but but we love all our listeners, and and we want to to make sure everybody. Uh, we're moving on here. Okay. So- have you have you ever been with? I, I've been four times. For you know, with a, with a conversion candidate for a for for a uh, circumcision uh, for a full full adult male circumcision, I've been once or twice. It's it's uh, it's it's serious, serious business. It's a commitment. It's, it's a commitment. Okay. Well, what really that said to me is is uh, you know we were talking about the fact that that Orthodox authorities don't necessarily accept you know non Orthodox. He says you know this is a commitment here. This is a commitment. Okay, so speaking of commitment, we have we have this beautiful scene of the the three messengers, the Malachim, coming. They 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 are visiting. Uh, Abraham is uh, in total hospitality mode, from from which we get the whole directive of you know Gadol Hachnasat Orchim Mikabalat Pene'ashchina. It's greater to receive guests than it is to receive the divine presence. Right. Except that's kind of a loaded statement because one reading of the text, of course, is that in fact the messengers are the divine presence. Okay. So, so it's exactly the same thing then. And, we don't, and you know, it's worth mentioning James Kogel wrote a book in which he talked about how how confusing it often is to distinguish human beings from God in the Bible. And this is one of those scenes. You know, first they're addressed in the plural, and then all of a sudden Abraham switches to the singular. 
So this, this is a very, very complicated text. And, and we want to talk about how to read the text in a second. But, but if we just kind of move past the, the extraordinary scene of the hospitality and the, and the receiving of this information and, and Sarah laughing and all that. And, and we, we have the moment where the, the angels' messengers leave uh, or, or they're, they're about to go on to their journey. And then God, then we, we get a switch to, to the next uh, item in this uh, Parsha, which is God disclosing his will to Avram. It's chapter 18, verses, verse 17 and, and on. God says, V'adonai amar what an extraordinary verse it's an amazing verse it's a, you know I, I i should i hide from abraham what i'm about to do and i find that so ironic because god is basically up until now hidden almost everything from abraham he hid the destination he hid the reason he hid but now he's going to disclose what he's going to do and then when it ensues is the indictment of Sodom. Um, and, you know, he says, I'm going now, you're the, 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 the cry of Sodom and Amorah are great. Their sin is very heavy. I will go down and see what, and, and hear, see what their, their scream is. If it's so, I will dis- it will be destruction. If not, I will know. And it's at that point, the text says, The angels leave, and they go to Sodom, and this, these four, five words, Abraham stands before God. Okay, so, so I, I want to say, if I was directing this play here, I would, it's, it, God, you know, you can't represent God in a human form, but it's Abraham's alone on the stage, and there's a voice, and there's a pillar of light on the stage. And, and this is drama. This is, this is absolutely amazing. I would say this is what makes the Torah great storytelling. And, and I don't know if you have, you know, the, the, are you, do you feel set up for the, what's going to be the greatest showdown here? Um, Jeremy, I wanted you to take it up from here, which is the, the, what's going to happen from this moment? Well, um, in this you know, relationship, in the, in the, in the, this is a moment of conflict. It certainly is. Vayigash um, Avraham, and Abraham draws near, and as the as the Talmud actually says about uh, this as the model for Abraham is the one who who invented the the Amidav Shacharit that there is a kind of assault that Abraham, as it were, kind of assaults God with this, with this claim. Is it a court? The assault comes later with Mrs. Lode. Mrs. Lode. No, this is, this is you know, the, the, the prosecutor is approaching the bench. My, well, you know, it's funny you said about, about the, the stage directions, and Abraham remains standing before God. The Malachim go off towards Sodom, and Abraham remains standing before God. So the one way of looking at this is that uh, Abraham is sticking his nose into this business and he's not leaving the office. You know, the, the, the boss says like, uh, don't let the door uh, hit you in the toes on your way out, but he's not leaving. Okay. Yeah. But what's interesting is in, in the, the, one of the, one of the fascinating, yeah, one of the fascinating rabbinic um, interpretive claims is that there were a number of places where they were tikkune sofrim, where the sages yeah, yeah. changed the Torah 
uh, edited it. What, what exactly does it mean? Do, do they really, do the sages who say this really mean that, that God gave them a Torah and then they amended it? But the, the claim in that particular rabbinic teaching is that the real text, the original text before this said, the, the Malachim, Vayifnu Misham HaAnashim Vayelchu Sedoma, Vaadunai Odenu Omed Lifnei Abraham, while God remained before Abraham. That's but they thought that that was not nice to say that the divine presence would wait on a human being. So they turned it around. And by turning it around, what we have now in Abraham is sticking his nose in there and says, excuse me, this conversation is not over yet. His his boldness is a um, is a deep thing. And I, I read this whole passage back and forth as the human being being extremely exercised, extremely upset, making um, profound claims of the divine and the divine going, all right, buddy, you just you just keep talking here and and we'll see how, where this goes, because God knows how many people are left in Sodom who are worthy. And Abraham is doing his best to, um, you know, to, to find out to find out who is who is still righteous. But God already knows, I think, the end of the story. There's a kind of like a knowing little maybe smirk, so to speak, on the divine face. I have a slightly different read, but Barry, I want you to bring you in here. Yeah, I have a question. You made a fascinating image with Abraham alone on stage with the pillar of light. What about right before that, when the messengers are there, we're about to leave? Do you have two men on the stage or three? So, and how do you portray God when Abraham... And I think this really is what sets the Torah apart, is because... We have all sorts of incons inconsistencies, for lack of a better word, of of transition. Like it's hard, you know, it's sort of like a biblical version of the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, where when you attempt to measure something, you change what you're measuring. And right. it, well, so 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 I would I would I would be as liberal as possible in in my staging of this, just for for the dramatic purposes of of you know the power of this text is is in its you know the way it conjures the imagination and and i think you know jeremy you and i slight are, are slightly different in the way that we interpret the imaginatively what's going on because you know i'll, I'll just the, the in, in your interpretation what you know god is like saying yeah 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 you know leave it and, and i i, I want to give a different reading you know the when god says um lo ashkit and goes down I won't destroy. those are numbers in English so people can oh, yeah, I'm gonna say, so it's got, it goes down from 50 to 45 to 40 to 30 to 20 to 10 and 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 God's language is I'm not going to do it for 30. I'm not going to do it if there are 20. I'm not going to do it if there are 10. And I want to, I'm reading into it a certain kind of pathos, which is I'm going to do it because I know what's in there. And it really, really pains me to have to do it. After all, I've made a commitment not to do this. And, 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 and here, it, there's just nothing redeemable about this city. End of story. And, and Okay. I have to insert something here. So I... I read this a little bit differently because I think the key moment is with Lot's kind of misplaced hospitality, that when the locals come to assault Lot and they can't assault the, his daughters, that's when the decision is made to destroy 
the city. That up until now, the choice is there. When God says, I will go down to see whether or not they are beyond redemption, I think that's still an open question. Okay. I so, think I think that that's I, I like that um, almost more. I like that almost more on a religious note than on a textual note. Um, as I said, I'm I'm reading this because what, what I think happens narratively is that Abraham says, you know, 50 people, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. And what happens in the end is that the that God takes out uh, at least gives an opportunity for um, seven people, I think. Lot, miss, Mrs. Lot, two, two daughters and two two sons-in-law. That's six people. It's, and two single daughters. The, it's two married daughters with the sons-in-law and two single daughters that will father or mother Moab and Ammon. Moab and Ammon. But I think the, the, the sons-in-law are either the engaged sons for the two single daughters or the older daughters with their husbands. But in any event, God takes out a number smaller than a minyan, which I think is the plan all along. But I do like it, if not on the, it's, I don't really like it on a textual level, what you said so much, but I love it on the religious level because it conforms also to Jonah and Nineveh. And this is the God that I think, you know, is presented overall in the Hebrew Bible, which is a, um, an ever open door to Shuvah. So stone, they're a mess. They're terrible. They're absolutely awful. I, I have to destroy the city as a whole. But if it were to be the case that Jonah were to show up in stone and say, you know, Odar Yom Ustom Nehepachet, then I think there would have been a different outcome. Absolutely. No question. And and this this tells us that there's a trajectory in the development of of Jewish religious thinking, even in the Bible itself, that the, the notion of teshuva is not yet fully formed here. We're, we're really early on in, the, in, the, in all of these stories. And, and I mean, I think it's a very, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of pain in this story. Of course, there's got to be a lot of pain. I mean, Lot loses, you know, the, the city is destroyed. Lot is a survivor. The, the, the wife it turns into a pillar of salt. And then, of course, we end up in a cave he is an almost an inverted uh, picture of Noah because Noah, you know, goes on the boat with his three sons. Here, Lot is in a cave with his two daughters. The two daughters, I'm going to be very charitable here and say, you know, that they they see themselves as the only survive the human survivors of of civilization, and they they want to propagate the species, and so they get Lot drunk and and sleep with him, become pregnant, and have two children. Go ahead, Barry. Well, people go to extraordinary lengths to populate the species. I don't know if you've ever read God's Grace by Bernard Malamud, but it's well worth reading. It was his last book. I don't want to give away the the quants, but when people are in such an extreme situation, they will do almost anything. And one might think almost anything is called for in those situations. Are you sympathetic to them? Are you, you know, critical of them? Well, I think both. I mean, I think we have to be sympathetic because I think that, you know, what makes the one of the things that makes the Torah the Torah is our is the human element that at all times we see humanity as a expanded. Um, group, but also as individuals. I think that's part of the appeal is that we we ultimately we see ourselves and we have these conflicts within ourselves. We've all been tested or thought that extraordinary measures 
however we define them are needed. And we always wonder whether we'll measure up when we think they're called for or not. Okay, so we, we move past this. These are very, very difficult stories. Uh, I mean, they, they really, they really be, because they are, I mean, I do think that the Lote and the daughter story is a kind of a dirty joke about the rival peoples and it doesn't, it's just, you know, at some levels having fun, but it, it is a, like a profoundly disturbing story of, you know, cause like parent-child incest is like the worst thing that you can imagine. And it is, it is, it is remarkable that, you know, in, in this world that we live in, in the 21st century, in which people are hyper, hyper aware, we've, or we've coming to a, a greater awareness of the way that alcohol and drugs and family dynamics and all this stuff, you know, can turn into outrageous, egregious behavior. It's rather amazing that this story actually has all of those very modern sounding elements. And it's w worth pointing out just real quick uh, before we go on that, that the Midrash, like Lot, Lot does this on two successive nights. He, he gets so blind drunk that the daughters can, can have sex with him. Uh, the Midrash in Breshi Rabbah says, uh, it says, it says, um, Though the Torah says he did not know when she lay down or when she rose, but the Torah, even still today in our modern Torahs, or, or maybe it's not, there's a dot over the word when she rose, and the rabbis say it means that he did not know when she lay down, but he did know when she got up, which means that, like, he recognized that, that they had sex, and the next night he got just as blind drunk. So the guilt or responsibility that aligns on 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 Lot himself is like, you know, the the, the midrash there in Breshi Rabbah is is given some critical attention to Lot's to Lot's motives. Right, that's verse 30, 30, 33, chapter nineteen, and the dot is there, right? Velo yada b'shichva uvekuma, and the lot the dot is on the vav of uvekuma. Uh, Didn't know uh, in his lying down and in her getting up. Okay. So, so very, very difficult story. And we have another episode of uh, the wife-sister motif where uh, they are now in the Negev, Abraham and Sarah, they go and they're, they're visiting with Abimelech. Uh, Abraham says, tell, me, tell him you're my sister. And, and that happens again. And I wanna go into it. We go into the next uh, story here, which is the birth of Isaac. A uh, profound moment. Of course, it's, it's still familiar to us because we read it on the first day of, of Rosh Hashanah, Vadonai Pakaret Sarah, God remembered Sarah. Um, just we'll get, let's get into this theme now of how we're reading these stories and 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 how does the Torah want us to read and how do we read and and how do we relate to these individuals and their lives here? Look what we have in this story: we have Abraham, we have Sarah, we have the birth of a child, we have Agar, the other woman, the co-wife, we have Ishmael. Um, what is the Torah asking us here? And how are we reading? And set us up for the next story also, because that's going to make more demands on us. Jeremy, this is, these are not easy questions. No, not, not at all easy. And here we have the, uh, I mean, they're not easy because we read these stories, um, so to speak, about, you know, uh, Akedat, Yitzchak, the Akidat Yishmael, the binding of Isaac, and then the, so to speak, the binding of, of Yishmael being banished into the desert. Abraham is the, is the, you know, founder of this nation. When you come to the Torah, talking about Abraham, Abraham Avinu, um, you, you know, who, who in Kabbalistic mythology is like, 
whenever you seek the character Abraham in the Torah, it is a it is a stand in or a symbol of or a living symbol of divine mercy. And there is not mercy. <laughs> this is this is this is the father who you know who like when when uh, when when Sarah says we got to throw this kid into the desert. He doesn't like it, but he doesn't stop it either. And when God says, you know, we're going to, God said to Abraham, kill me a son, as Bob Dylan said, um, he says, okay. And and there's a lot that one has to deal with on a human level as you read these stories. I think that the, that the great mythologies of the world, of which our, you know, our holy Torah is, you know, has has some some resemblances, they're, they're not to me describing events that happen. They're describing profound heavily freighted symbolic situations in which uh, people have to respond to impossible impossible demands. People have to have faith when everything in their world seems to be crushing down and they have to gather up the strength to, you know, live with faith and they have to have this sense of trust and they have to, you know, walk through these incredible ordeals. Abraham is a character who endures ordeals. Um, and, and they are such an incredible, incredibly literary, intense uh, the story of the Akedah is so short, but so packed with you. You can really feel the 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 slow steps of Abraham up the mountain with Isaac, and Isaac says, "Where's the lamb?" And Abraham says, "God will see the lamb." And then they walked on together. I mean, that is the, the the literary power of that is amazing. So, what I think the text is asking us, especially in the in the story of the Akedah, to wrestle with is can you continue following um, what you take to be a spiritual demand, even when that demand would mean the end of your progeny, the whole thing was about Abraham's gonna have children, now you might be called upon to end that. And and you know how do you listen to a, a divine demand that asks you to do the unthinkable and somehow you, you just continue to walk that path? Barry, I, I don't know if you have a, a Go ahead. Yeah, I, I was struck by your your note about Abraham having no mercy for Ishmael and Isaac. And I wonder if that is not designed to provide a comment on the ostensible mercy that he has for the re residents of Sodom and Gomorrah in chapter 19. When he's arguing or talking with God, because I think the way we often read it is that Abraham is concerned that the innocent not be swept away with the guilty. He knows his family. I think he knows that they're not entirely innocent. And so perhaps we're willing to say about Abraham there that he's a universalist. But the problem, I think, is that sometimes people who are universalists don't really care all that much about their own families. And maybe that's Abraham at the Akedah and with the banishment of Ishmael. So, so I mean, when you bring that up, it, it, it just illustrates... Sorry, it just illustrates one of the one of the challenges in reading the text, which is, what does the text mean? What does the text want us to ask? What kinds of questions do the text want us to ask? And and I think so. It's almost it's almost limitless. Okay, go ahead. It is, and what I'd like to add is that we read the Torah on at least two different levels. When what we're doing now, we're talking about the parsha. We're supposed to read the parsha every week. Actually, we're supposed to read it twice in the targum as well. And you might ask, why do we have to read it every week? We read it last year. Well, we change. You know, the Torah is a kind of measuring stick. And by reading it Parsha by Parsha, we slow it down, and it invites us to connect the Torah to whatever is going on in our life. 
But the books of the Torah were written probably as actual books, meaning that Sefer Breshit was probably designed in its final rendering as a complete book with the beginning and an end. The same with Shemot, Vayikra, etc. And we lose something when we don't ever read them as Okay. What makes the Torah limitless is that we change every week. And if not every week, certainly year to year. Look, we, we might even change in the same week. You know, I start reading the Parsha, preparing for class, you know, on Monday. And by Friday, you know, I have one class on Monday. I think, oh, what a, what a great lesson. I can use it on Shabbos. And by Friday, I have, I'm in a totally different place on this. And and I want to say... I think that, one, one thing about that, which is, I have to say, about our jobs is I, I think this is true about the Jewish people, especially if you, as Barry said, read, you know, Steinmikrach Hat Targum, and you read the story twice in the Bible text and once, at least once with the commentary, that would always be true. But it, it's kind of good that we have the job that we have because we got to read the Parsha every week. And it really is it just it's such a blessing in my life that the Torah is like, it, that's how I mark time. Absolutely. And so so let's go to the Akeda now, which is the last story in this Parsha, which is which demands a total attention from the reader, and I think that's what you mentioned, you know, before Jeremy, which is in in remarking on the way that the text tells the story, it it is saying to you, you need to notice every single uh, sound here, every single silence here. You need to notice every word, every letter of every word. You need to know where the pauses are taking place, what the distance is, and and. I think the text is demanding us, and, and here I'm going to you know add the strategy that we have to be there with them. I, I, I use theatrical terms, you know, both here and, and teaching this, and say, you know, we're on, we're both on the stage and we're in the audience. We're watching and we're no, and we we want to say to Avram, don't do it, but but we can't. You know, we it's it's a great you know Star Trek thing. We 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 want to we want to influence the histories in some way, but it, it has to be this way. His, you know, the way the Torah tells the story is that the angel stops him from, so, so read that verse. The verse is in, in the middle of chapter 22, by verse 10, he sends his hand, and whatever that means, to send your hand, so I'm going to ask you the question. You know, if you are you are staging this, where the next verse is verse eleven. So I'm Abraham, and let's be, let's let this be the knife, okay? Am I? Is the angel stopping me here, here, or here? Right? You know, none of the above. None, none of the none, above. None of the above, because. As as we know, uh, maybe maybe our readers, our listeners know this as well. There is a long tradition, midrashic tradition, um, that a great seminary professor Sholem Spiegel collected in Hebrew essay called Me Agadot HaAkedah from from the legends of the of the Akedah, and then was published in English as a book called The Last Trial. That. Uh, that it's not the story of disaster narrowly averted, it's the story of the death and then the resurrection of Isaac, that he's, that there's plenty of Midrashim to this effect. Obviously, that is the Midrash of Christianity. The beloved child is killed and resurrected, but also the Haftarah, the child that, that Elisha um, 
uh, announces to the Shunammite woman, that child also dies and Elisha brings him back to life. Um, I think midrashically he's supposed to be Yonah ben Amitai, uh, that, he's, that, that that child will become the prophet Jonah. Uh, and, and I think the story, I, I think that the Torah's rendering that says that it did not happen, I mean, there, whatever, th- th- that, that is the shot of the Torah that God stopped it from happening. But I think that there is such, so for me, one of the ways in which this is true is that Abraham is called upon to go through with the totally unthinkable and not ultimately doesn't have to do it, uh, actually perhaps does it. And, and the child is resurrected. So then this becomes a story about going right up to the gates of hell, if necessary, and, and then coming back to life. Because this religion does care a lot about the resurrection of the dead. You know, Tchiat HaMetim, uh, the resurrection of the dead, is, is a big part of this religion. So one way, not the only way to read the story, but, but you asked, like, how would I, how would I stage it? I'd kind of like to go with that Midrashic tradition that it's like, you go to hell and come back out. Barry? Um, I, I'm not, I love the, the, the Midrash that Spiegel writes about in the last trial, and I think that there's a lot of power to it. But I think that for me, a lot of times I think about how crushingly disappointed Abraham is when he has to stop. Because once you commit yourself to a course of action like that, you need to complete it to have a sense of completion. And being stopped in the middle is, in a sense, worse than actually doing it, even as horrific as the act itself is. Elliot, you're shaking your head. I, I disagree with both of you, as usual. <laughs> I can't get over it. I, I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm so inclined to the shot reading of this text uh, where, where he doesn't, I, I'm, 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 I'm living in the in the moment. I'm 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 watching you know this happen, and and I I I'm seeing the hesitation, and and the Abraham that I I want to have here is an Abraham that that absolutely does not want to do this, and wants okay. to do this, wants to use every ounce of hesitation because he said God will show us the lamb for the offering, and he really believes it, right? That, that he will not have to do this. And that, that the sense of this text is here, the limit to which I am going to go to serve God will affect my child. And, and the darkest reading I could give to this, you know, uh, which is just one step short of God, he kills him. It, the, 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 the second darkest reading is he will allow himself to put his child through this because that's what's being asked. Oh, but that see that's now that, that is is, is interesting. What, what what's the second darkest reading? Is is my my reading darker or not? The the um, <laughs> the, child. the the well because of the trauma. Like, like I said, I I I find that the Torah's power is from the the intensities of the situations, not the individual characters. Maybe I said that before we were yeah, before yeah. we started recording. Um, but but the trauma that is foisted upon Yitzchak, that the parent is doing this, is just mind-blowing. Why is it that, that those Midrashic traditions that I said, why is it that they took root? Um, they responded to something. They, anything that lasted in Judaism over all these many centuries of transmitting texts orally and in writing to a small group of literate people, 
the, those, the stories like made it because they responded to something that people, um, you know, were thinking or needed to hear. But there's or also an anti-Christian polemic going on in those interpretations, let's be honest. But, but no, he... I, I, don't, I don't think that's quite right. Well, whatever. But here's, what, here's the thing that I, that I, uh, that I, I do think is, um, you know, is relevant, that that, that traumatic element um, is is really just so so intense. But I want to tell you this real quick. There's a early modern thinker called Yashar Mikandia, also named Yosef Shlomo Domergo, who uh, actually it's known that Spinoza had his book. Um, the book was published in Amsterdam in, in the early 17th century, and Spinoza had it. And Yashar Mikandia writes the most amazing interpretation. This is an early modern guy. And he said, it's not that an angel stopped him. It's that Abraham saw the ram caught in the in the thorns and thought better of it. So the, yeah. here you had this early modern guy who didn't, who like wanted to turn the knob down on divine intervention and said that Abraham like got a better idea. And, and I just think that's an amazing teaching about how, because modern people I think are appropriately should be, you know, if, if, you, if you heard Hashem telling you to go kill your child, you would need to some serious antipsychotic medication, and in in that interpretation, Yosef uh, Shlomo uh, Domenico is is kind of saying, uh, yeah, Abraham Abraham got back in his right mind when he came up with a better idea. I, I really like that interpretation. Okay, I think we have to then focus on something that we have not focused on yet, and that is that God makes the command originally, but it's the angel that stays Abraham's hand. And I'm thinking that the reason why the Malach has to stay Avraham's hand is because the voice isn't enough. He has to be physically restrained. And the Malach is a human incarnation of God in some way. That, in other words, Abraham does not stop because the angel says stop. Abraham stops because the angel grabs him and prevents him from killing his son. Okay, so that's nowhere in the text. Sorry, okay. <laughs> Unless, then you're reading the wrong version. Abraham, Abraham. Yeah. Don't. Why is it? No, no. Don't. The paintings. You're looking at paintings. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> why is it the Malach and not God? And Barry's got something on it. Barry's got something. First of all, you're reading with Rashi. Al-Tishlach yes. Yad-Khalanar is one. Al-Taslo is two. Because Abraham is saying, all right, can I at least stab him a little bit? You know, that's Rashi's interpretation. Don't, so I, I think that you, the, you've got something. I, look, he's he's talking. Your question still stands, Barry, which is, why, is, why isn't it God himself? And, and, and I think... He, Something happened here on the way to the to the Akeda, which is God doesn't really talk to Avram again, and 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 I think that that this is part of the part of the story, which is the relationship gets ruptured. The relationship between Abraham and Isaac is ruptured. They don't talk again. The relationship between God and Abraham the, the, gets ruptured. It's 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 unbearably painful. And that's why I say it's it's a dark, the dark reading of it. It's not that he kills him, it's that everything that has been moving in this story is moving to this point, and what we don't have any resolution here. Do you know what but, we have uh, next week? But okay. if we don't have resolution, then we have to ask is what makes this Torah? In other words, if we take your reading, then what are we supposed to take away from this? We're supposed so to take this is really this is really intense because and it ties also to the Haftarah, 
and it ties also to the birth of Yishmael. What are we supposed to take away? How is it Torah without resolution? Well, one of the things is, and this maybe also ties to circumcision, because uh, one of the things is that you um, you have this child, and you love this child more than you have power to protect this child. I mean, this is this is my experience. It's a human condition. That's the human condition. You love, you have infinite love and finite power. And part of it is, one of the reasons the story works so intensely, and maybe even Lot's, Lot and the daughters, maybe this is in there, the, 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 the knowledge that you have to, you have this beautiful baby boy, and you're going to cut it when it's eight days old. And, you know, so I think that one of the ways that we inflict pain on those we love and, and we, they don't belong to us and we cannot always keep them safe. And sometimes we lose them. And so I think the story works on one of the weight levels in which the story works is that agonizing, as, as, as Elliot said correctly, you know, just unbearably painful um, space in which a parent is, is told to take a child and, you know, maybe lose the child. All right. So this is the takeaway that I'm going to be, we're, we're running out of time, which is, I agree with, with, with what you said. It's, it's demanding of us to, to ask ourselves, what does the commitment to God and what does the commitment to this life mean? And you cannot protect your children from everything. And this is the, the, the exact moment that we find ourselves in the culture. We want to protect everybody. And, and we just can't. There's, there's terror out there. There is, there is The life of faith is demanding. It's not leisure. It's not entertainment. And, and what Abraham is being asked is to go through this um, a, a traumatic experience, an impossible experience where there is no right answer, and to somehow emerge on the other side. And, and he does it. He does not withhold his son. It doesn't mean he, doesn't, he was willing to sacrifice. It means he did not withhold the, his protection. He... he, he, he rescinded his protection of his son at that time. Belochasachta means he enabled his son to be vulnerable to the trauma at that time, which is a horrible thing to demand. And that's what, what's being demanded here. You want it darker? I want it so dark. You want it darker. The, you know, I just want to make it, first of all, the, 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 the uh, Spiegel Midrashim, for those who are listening, maybe not read it, is that they are about the medieval crusade narratives in which um, Jews actually and and we can you know his professional historians will debate whether or not this this actually happened or is just a just a rhetorical trope but the crusader narratives say that jews killed their own children um in martyrdom rather than turn them over to the to the crusader mobs and in it it says you know the 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 imagined chana there's an imagined chana from the hanukkah period in which she says abraham you got nothing you, you sacrifice one children, I sacrifice seven. And I just, you know, I've, I've spoken to people, I'm sure you guys have all spoken to people, you know, who've, who've carried their children into surgeries, you know, um, and our Israeli brothers and sisters, like, well, none of us have sent our sons off to Tzaha. Right. Can you imagine what is it like, you know, um, Israeli parents, you know, like it's in, in a non, it's not a remote possibility that they're really sending their children off and exposing One them. One of those scenes of the parents standing at the bus stop with, you know, putting their kids on the buses and, and they're weeping, they're weeping. Some are, you know, have 
they're embracing their kids with pride and some they're, they're weeping and you know what i mean we have we have a fraction 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 of that i mean you put a kid on a plane right to go to israel this 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 year i've put on your kids on planes before right what does it what what happens when they go through security <laughs> What do you do? Oh my God! <laughs> and so I say, I walk back from the from the terminal. I go like, Are we the only people in the world that do this to our children? You know, <laughs> we we send them off. You know, we're not the only people, of course. You know, but we send them off to 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 the unknown. I mean, to, we're also over time, but but I have to put this in because you know we our kids go go on these trips to 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 Europe, right? Your kids go to to. To uh, on March of the Living tours, my kids went on for for their high school, and so, you know, I, I you step away, you know, it's important. They see the history, etc., and and then you step back and say, what are we doing? Why are we subjecting our children to marinate in in and to see this at the age of sixteen? I, I couldn't go until I was over forty years old, you know, to see what this is. This is, and so we're saying, yeah, you don't you don't withhold this from your children, and that's what makes. So I, I want to ask the question of how do we read it? We read it because our lives depend on it. Our lives are on the line here. It's, it's, it, it, it. <laughs> and next week, our lives will depend on something else because we'll have a new Parsha. <laughs> we have a new Parsha. And we will we'll, take it seriously. And we'll take it seriously. Well, we thank you for, for watching our, our emotion here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. All right. See you soon.